Hi everyone and welcome to the Prototypes Podcast. This is a podcast where innovators, product creators and entrepreneurs come to discuss impactful ideas. Our mission is to inspire more people to create great product experiences. My name is Margarida and I'll be your host today. Today my guest is Gonçal Gaiolas, CPO of SoSafe. With more than a decade of experience, Gonzalo combines the fields of business and leadership, product management and productivity. He won the prize Global Top 20 CPOs by Product Act Counts due to his work as CPO in OutSystems. He is also an experienced traveler with an eternal beginner mindset. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, Gonzalo. Uh, welcome back to the Prototypes podcast. This is your second time here. True. And uh, you're going to be a speaker this year in Prototypes conference in yes. October. Yes, I'm very, so excited. Thank you for having me, both at the podcast and the conference. Thank you. Um, so I would like to kick off our conversation by asking you uh, what were your motivations and interests uh, as a teenager and uh, how did you decide to study uh, information systems in technical? Oh, great. So we're going way back. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, it, it's interesting. I think maybe it happens with a few of us. Uh, there's a little bit of a blur in my memory from that point in time, but I remember distinctively um, being in love with uh, the internet specifically and when it came online um, uh, very quickly spending as much time as I, I could possibly uh, spend there it was it was an expensive proposition back then for, for my parents but spent a lot of time on uh, doing that in in, in the um, in the specific uh, in that specific time of my life now and as I was growing in, in a, you asked me about selecting technique I think it was a completely random selection um, I cannot claim it would be fair to claim that it was very strategic or I wanted to follow something it was sounded fun um, people said it was good from the perspective of a career I enjoyed the types of things that were, that were learned there but I can't claim that um, this was a calling that I had and uh, that was going to basically change my life as it did. I will say I found out over life, and it was, this was true at that point in time as well, that I'm, I, 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 get in, I, I very easily fall in love with challenges and things uh, across multiple domains. So it could have been computers, it could have been humans. I think I would have always had sort of a little bit of an inner drive to just mm -hmm. learn as much as I could in that specific domain. That sort of played out over in, in my career as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and Technica was uh, was a good school. Uh, there was a uh, they were just opening a campus close to where I lived. It was convenient. It was a good school, and I'm so glad I did it because it ended up being a phenomenal choice and a great learning opportunity. Yeah. So you did your bachelor's and the master's there. Correct. Yeah, and then. Uh, you started your career as software engineer, mm -hmm. so you keep the same uh, uh, topic. Yes. Uh, in out systems. Yes. Where you work for uh, five years, uh, but uh, also during this first your first company, you uh, had different responsibilities. Uh, you were in the software engineer, marketing, mm -hmm. pre-sales. Mm -hmm. So. Um, how did these different experiences shaped your career uh, and uh, your way of doing product? Mm, great question. 
I, I'd say first, I think the thing that led me to all of the, the first, the thing that led me to odd systems was this uh, curiosity about these people that were doing something very, very different. I stumbled upon odd systems and I was in my last year of college and it was so different, so wildly um, outside of anything that I had experienced while I was studying more traditional computer science that I found, I, I, I was blown away by what the team was trying to do. So I, I worked really, really hard <laughs> to try to get a job at OutSystems. I think it was only the only thing I applied to in the beginning because I really wanted that job. And after I got in, um, it, it got even better because the, not, not only was filled with people that were way smarter, way more experienced than I was, but it was a culture that incentivized curiosity. Uh, later on, we would coin ask why is the number one culture rule at OutSystems. And it was already present back then. We didn't, we didn't use ask why. But the thing that led me down the path of experimenting with all those different things was a natural curiosity about figuring out different parts of the business and trying something new, plus being in a context that actually valued that and had the needs. Uh, we were starting to grow. We didn't have a lot of people. We probably couldn't afford or bring very experienced professionals in each one of those areas. And that presented an opportunity. Mm -hmm. It presented an opportunity for Gonzalo, the product, to go and learn and build skills. Um, and that foundation and that idea that, yeah, you can go and learn how to do online digital marketing or you can go live in the U.S. and open an office. It's possible. We'll support you and you can do it. It ended up being the theme across the, 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 the years after. And I'm very glad that I had that opportunity. And I stumbled upon a company that was able to give uh, somebody as inexperienced and as new as I was at back then, as young, um, the ability to do so. Mm -hmm. And uh, how was the growth of OutSystems uh, in these five years? So when you entered, uh, when you first entered, how many people were they had as employees and how many people there were after these five years so I, I i remember we were roughly around 25 when i joined um i don't exactly know how many we were it seemed like a lot more but it, we were probably not even 100 when i left um, the growth of our systems really just kicked on the second part of, of my career there um and, and many years later at that point in time we were going to that valley of having an incredible technology, but perhaps not having completely figured out how to bring it to market, how to productize some of the key elements of the technology, and how to position it. Um, it was very horizontal, so we solved many different problems. There was no attached use cases. That was a big product learning for me back then. Um, so the growth really just kicked off uh, later in, in, in the journey. Mm -hmm. uh, with that being said, having gone through that horizontal play uh, also allowed us to experiment with a number of different things and a number of different product capabilities. And it built a very strong core product that we could then scale and be very successful later yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, these experiences as uh, uh, marketing, pre-sales, so we did, you did a bit of everything. Um, mm -hmm. How do they influence you as a product leader today? So I imagine that this might help you uh, interact with other teams mm -hmm. and understand uh, the influences and the blockers. Yes. yes, or yes. The, the link between the, the teams. 
Yeah, the, I, the key thing I think it inf- I I sum it up often by saying every job looks easy when you're not the one doing it. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you're in an organization, you know, you know I, I could do the marketing job. I could do I could be out there in the field. Selling is easy. Building product is easy. You always if always feels like there's not a lot of complexity when you're not doing a job. And when you go do that job, it's like incredibly complex. And there's so many nuances that you really don't understand from the outside in. And um, to me, it gave me a little bit of, a, I think, key product manager thing is empathy, empathy towards my colleagues, my the people. And, uh, and it also forced me very early on to try to create um, mental models that would work in multiple different situations. So if you're if you're a career person in a specific function, you get really good at the tactics of that function. But if your job is now tomorrow you're going to go do this X thing, Y thing, then the skills you develop are much more related to the human side of things or to problem understanding, problem thinking, communication, mm-hmm. and not so deep into the specifics. Uh, and that was incredibly useful as a as a product leader um, because. In, in in essence, a product leader is a business leader, and a business leader is a people leader, and all you know, all of the all, all, all other things. So I'd say there were very formative experiences from the from the perspective of um, trying different jobs within the same company, which was also good to sort of uh, keep that um, willingness or, or desire to go do something different at bay. So they were very formative. You you learned a lot. You did different jobs you made different mistakes you had different coaches you will observe different people at operating and later on that became very important as a product leader because i have tremendous respect and my number one thing is um you know it is impossible to be successful as a product leader if your colleagues across the organization are not successful as well Mm -hmm. so you might as well not try just you know be a good be a good human and help them out as well and optimize for the whole and not just for product yeah great uh, you also referred that you you went to San Francisco to open yeah. the, the office in our mm-hmm. systems there for one year. So how was that experience? Um, so it was actually three years, um, <laughs> and it was an l- absolutely life-changing experience. I went there to work for who a person that's now a good friend, um, and uh, he had been there. So I, I technically, I think I was probably employee two or three in, in opening it up. It was um, from the perspective of learning, again, being in a completely different context and in accelerated learning context was amazing. I had so much freedom and autonomy to be in front of customers, build uh, specific products. I was doing actually field work. I was doing project management and engagement management work to help customers build applications on top of the OutSystems platform. And that was uh, that was incredible, like being out in, out there in the field in what is arguably the most sophisticated technology ecosystem in the world. At the same time, it was incredibly hard because this was 2008. There was a huge financial crisis happening. We were trying to sell a technology that was poorly understood in a category that didn't exist in the most advanced technology sector in the world. It was very, very hard. Um, you know, our colleagues in sales and my boss, they did amazing things to get the business to grow. But um, but I, I think it's fair to say that we, we struggled a lot. But I, I take away from that just the, the incredible, incredible capabilities uh, or the incredible uh, potential of the U.S. as a market and just thinking very, very big. They think it, 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 it's even hard to comprehend if you haven't been there how, how big uh, 
people there think um, and it sounds silly when you see it first but then you understand that that's how really amazing products get built so i i learned a little bit from that and i tried to map it out with the maybe portuguese pragmatism a little bit as well but um but it was i think the probably the single most formative experience in my career uh, was spending those three years there wow okay <laughs> sounds incredible yep yeah um and, and after that you you did a um, gap year of one year yes exactly yes so and you you said that you visit um, 17 different countries mm -hmm. what was your main motivation to do this gap year so this had always been something I've had always loved traveling from because it is the quintessential experience of curiosity and knowing different things and getting yourself in a position where the referential and the context is very different from what you have back home. And I've always done that like um, as, as much as my means allowed me. Um, I've always tried to do that as, as, as much as I possibly could. Um, and so going into the U.S., there was already like a plan to maybe one day do that and maybe one day uh, to actually uh, stop and reflect and learn and travel and just enjoy life. Um, and I was coming up, I think, on year seven or eight of my career, and it made uh, sense that if I wanted to leave the U.S., I had completed sort of a tour of duty um i you know i wanted to perhaps go do that at that point in time i also had a little bit of a family issue at that point in time my grandmother died back in portugal and that was a very traumatic event and it forced me to stop and sort of reevaluate whether i wanted to be away from family or not and um and i decided that i wanted to move back to europe uh, so I joined the two things, said, okay, I'm going to move back to Europe, but it would be a shame to not use this opportunity where we essentially have an, a head start and to uh, not fulfill uh, now that it's possible, while I have no obligations, I, had, I didn't have kids or anything like that, fulfill this lifelong dream. So, you know, we did it. Uh, I had my partner back then, uh, it was myself and her, we, 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 we were out for about a year and um, again very very important experience and i think i would say even an accelerator for my career because when i came back this idea of empathy and knowledge and connection to different how different people operated in the world and just being rested and open-minded uh, really i think was a platform for the acceleration in the, in the years after mm -hmm. yes yeah i was going to ask you like what were the key takeaways that you got from this experience and and what changed in your life after being when you're just traveling yeah so uh, my life motto actually came from that um uh from that experience i was sitting i believe in laos uh, laos uh, i was sitting uh, by, by a river and you know it was month seven or something like that of the trip and i remember has sitting down in a restaurant and having um and somebody bringing me the menu it was a menu in english for tourists and in the bottom of the menu um, it said, uh, happiness is a choice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I read that and I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? What do you mean by happiness is a choice? I later on discovered that this is obviously coming from many different philosophy streams and stoicism and things like that. But that just, I think being in that moment, very open-minded, very, uh, present and, uh, essentially having that sentence was a bit of a gut check, right? Or a punch in the gut. It's like, oh, okay. So I, 
essentially what this is saying is that things happen but i control how i feel about these things mm -hmm. right i control what i do i control my reaction that is i do not get to i don't relinquish control over what i do with things that happen there will always be bad things and good things that happen but what I, how i feel and what i do is my choice and i think that fundamentally changed then my life my locus of control fundamentally changed i don't think i was ever somebody that put too much stake or too much stock in like uh life is happening to me or uh, these people are outside and i'm complaining and whining but that that moment i distinctly remember as if it was now you know uh, sitting just almost an energy flowing through your whole body and changing the neurons and, and figuring out oh, wow that's that's what enlightenment must look like right and and that really changed my uh future because at that point in time there's no excuses it's uh it's you right and you own it and um you put yourself in positions where you can uh win or you can grow or you can help others and you can work on yourself to control how you answer to these different difficult situations that happen um so that was i think the, that was a huge key takeaway the other was just being in love with the world and life because you're traveling around you meet so many different people and places and the uh, world is such a beautiful place and i took a lot of photography uh, just spending time and capturing the moment um i think really made me fell fall in love with uh, with the world and i mean naturally enthusiastic that's the, the the key thing that people tell me is uh your enthusiasm is, is contag contagious. I think it also came from that. It accelerated with that, mm -hmm. with that trip, um, because you know every there's beauty and there's greatness and there's curi curiosity everywhere you look. Yeah. Uh, in this topic of uh, happiness is a choice uh, discovery, um, were you before this uh, enlightenment? Uh, were you more on? A control type of guy like you like to you suffer of not uh, being in control of things that you uh, naturally are not in control and you you were struggling with that I think I was struggling with my emotional response to things that were happening I was it wasn't that I necessarily blamed others But my response wasn't as productive as it possibly could, right? It was as if there's an external stimuli, and if it's sad, you know, you you just basically show that you're sad or happy or whatever. And there and it was there was no moment to pause, stop, integrate, observe, uh, decide, orient, and then do something with it. It was it wasn't a mature. I think most people get there get to this thing that I'm describing somewhere in life. To me, that moment was just an accelerant to figure out that um, I could not only accept, but choose how to, to respond to the things that were happening. I, I don't think I was ever uh, somebody where the locus of control was completely external and I just, I struggled with everything is outside me. I was always very sort of self-driven, um, had a relatively high internal bar for myself. Um, but this was just an, it, you'll see a theme I think in this conversation is moments where there is acceleration where the curve goes up uh, the curve mm -hmm. of something that's already a natural progression in your life could be how how you learn how you grow how much money you make mm -hmm. what opportunities you have I'm tr always trying to find things where and look back and figure out what were the moments where the slope of the curve went up and you really accelerated okay 
Okay, makes sense. And, and how was the process of coming back to normal life? Um, it was actually quite easy, I'd say. Um, people would ask me, oh, it must be like super weird to come back. And But if, if you think of that mental model of there's beauty everywhere, there's curiosity everywhere, um, then life becomes a lot easier because there's always... Um, there's always good in whatever you're doing now. I remember I came back and I, I went into this project for a customer. And um, in, in the middle of this project, uh, this is like a retail customer. And it was a project around performance management uh, for, 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 for their employees. And I worked with the developers and the product managers. And, uh, and one of them, I remember this moment distinctively, one of them asked me, is this the, you seem so excited, is this, is this the best project you've ever done? <laughs> and my natural reaction was responding, no, this is the best project I'm on right now. It was the only one. But it's, it's always about finding that context where you are right now, just enjoying it to the max and to the fullest. So if, you, if that's your frame of reference, then coming back, and if, if you accept that there are things in the choices you've made, then coming back is easy. Oh, there's traffic and I have to go to work and I have a schedule. But that, that was my choice, mm-hmm. right? Why, why not just embrace it and move forward? Um, and, you know, later on, I, I suspect we're going to talk about the next stage of the career. But later on, um, I believe some of these things, some of these mindset shifts, some of these things where I've invested in myself were... Uh, pivotal for what 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 I achieved five years down the road, right? So uh, that moment and deciding to come back full force after having spent a year out was uh, very very important, uh, very very pivotal. Um, I I rejoined the same company, but I decided that I was going to be a sli- a very different person in how I approach problems, and it was it was almost a, a fresh restart. Mm-hmm. So it's an opportunity to restart. I I, I very much like change. Because it's always an opportunity for you to improve something that you want to improve in yourself. Yeah, yeah, and I imagine that uh, this experience of going, being away for one year and then coming back to the same company, it might have give you, it might have gave you perspective. Correct. Over what you are doing, like uh, correct, you are in this room, but you know, like the world is yes, big. It's massive. Yeah, it's massive. Yes, it's yes. not. Justice. Yes, exactly. It's not just this, and it's uh, you know, and the, and the people out there. But in the, it's funny you should say that because um, when you go back to this one context of um, a specific company, a specific project, there's always that that link of what all humans want, right? Uh, there's in the back of the mind, you, you know, if you're here or if you're in Brazil or in Laos or in Vietnam or in Australia. We all have these basic same human desires of improving our lives and being with loved ones and reducing pain. And, and you can see that play out in the patterns and you can see play out in the microcosm of one project, one company, or, or, or really then be connected with the entire world. And I think that you were hinting at that. It, it, the perspective there is that you can be talking and sitting and having a difficult conversation with one person, but then all of a sudden you look back and say, oh, okay, but you know, Think about the the world and the the universe, and that that is also um, that is also a very important um, reminder that uh, that to keep things in perspective on a day to day basis for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just remembering uh, one of the things that I saw on your LinkedIn. Uh, I think it, you reposted this, and it had 
it had this uh, phrase um, what we most fear doing asking or saying is often what we actually need to do yes uh, and having that this wider perspective also gives you the courage yes. to embrace this difficult situation I, I, I look at the uh, fears and these things right now in my life as they are data points emotions are very powerful data points and they tell you that there is something that you have to confront and i try to live by this idea I, i i very often fail but i try to live by this idea of doing what's right and not what's easy mm -hmm. um and i'm i'm coaching myself and working with others to help me sort of go through this motion of you know you all you probably know what's right but it's you it's very easy to go down the route of what's easy And uh, when you fear something, or if you're, you know, if you really don't want to do it, there's a, you should inspect and, and, and adapt to see, is there something here that I am, uh, that's holding me back from a, from a, from, from a better version of myself. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there's a lot that we could discuss about that, but I do think that it, it is, it's important, um, any career you choose, anything you do, it is important to always be on the lookout for the things that are automatic truths or holding you back um, from being the best version of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, sometimes we fool ourselves uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the real context of reality, but well, that's then Correct, you part rationalize, the... you tell stories. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's part of the knowing yourself topic. That is a, Yes, life path journeys. Correct. Okay, so then you came back to Thought Systems, yes, and uh, you um, you were there for a period of 10 years mm -hmm. um, and uh, different roles, responsibilities, um, and uh, you also worked uh, later in your last years in Thought Systems as VP of Product and yes. later CPO, yes. and you won the prize Global top 20 CPOs yes. by product accounts. So I want to congratulate you for ah, that. Thank you so much. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you, uh, what is the role of a CPO? Because I kind of feel this is still uh, a topic that uh, people have doubts. That's me true. including. No, that's true. I think um, it's, it's a rel product management in and of itself is a relatively new profession. Having a, an executive or a senior leader is even newer than that, and I think it will it will be very contextual to um, where the CPO exists or where the VP of product exists. Um, I'm, I'm not going to distinguish between the two. Let's just call it like the most senior product leader in the organization because the title in of itself, you know, you could get into that. But I think the most important thing uh, that somebody like that can do is to figure out. What are the holes you have to plug in the overall product, the overall company strategy and execution? What I mean by that is, in some contexts, um, the most important thing is to clarify the company strategy and then how how the product plays a role in that company strategy. In others, the most important thing is to create a mechanism and a set of teams that then delivers on that strategy uh, in, in an incredibly fast pace. Um, So those are, they're not extreme examples, but they are, I think, uh, quite different in what the role entails at different points in time. 
But I think of an executive in product as somebody that is able to sit at the table with other executives and understand the role of product in the overall company strategy. I am a big believer that you cannot be a good product leader if you're not also able to fully articulate the financial, go-to-market, um, and overall strategic direction of the company. The two don't exist in, uh, in, in isolation. So product strategy only makes sense if it's embedded in a very uh, relevant part of an organizational strategy. And the senior executive needs to own that, and then they need to own strategy deployment and strategy to execution. What teams do I have? What goals do I give people? What are the guardrails where they can't go? What decisions are set in stone? What are just uh, milestone markers? And we're going to let, let teams uh, figure out how to get there. Those are very hard decisions given different contexts. And that's to me, is the role of the CPO is to, is to uh, be the owner of that transition or translation from a well-defined product strategy that is differentiated and aligned with the overall company strategy to a week-on-week -week execution on the product teams that uh, delivers on that strategy. It sounds mm -hmm. easy, but it's incredibly hard to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, what do you think are going to be the main changes in the Portuguese market uh, in enterprise uh, in terms of uh, the product? So do you think uh, like there's still a lot of companies that uh, don't have CPO or mm -hmm. VP of product? Do you think there's going to be an increase of that of people going to that role? I do. I do for a couple of reasons. I think um, specifically when you think about the Portuguese market, there is a clear... And the Portuguese, I'm going to talk about Portuguese ecosystem of technology companies, if you will, of product companies. There, uh, as companies grow, this, uh, this connectivity between the company strategy and the product strategy... Um, it becomes very hard for the CEO to do that or the founders to do that. And you need people that have that business acumen, but then fully understand the different disciplines of product, uh, market research, user research, company research, um, product design, product marketing, uh, product uh, development lifecycle, operations. Um, that becomes a very specialized skill set you need if you're trying to really grow a company, I think. And you could, you could call it a CTO, a CPO, a CPTO, a VP of something. But that specialization, I think, is going to happen more and more. So that's, that's the reason one. The reason number two is just the overall dynamics of the ecosystem. You have people coming from the outside in. I just sat literally yesterday, had lunch and coffee with two very experienced product leaders that are now living in Portugal, one French, one American. Um, and that, that the presence of the talent will also create the opportunity for the role to emerge even mm -hmm. further. Um, and yeah, I think we have, if you then go like to the third thing, Portuguese people in spe specifically are probably very well suited from being generalists, are very well suited to being good product leaders. Mm -hmm. um, there are some things that hold us back, perhaps, you know, focus on great design or the ability to understand how to, uh, think very, very big in global markets. But apart from that, we can be incredibly good product leaders. Yeah, but it might be um, a role that is ours to, to fill, like if a company has uh, that role open, like it's, you need a person with a specific, uh, not the specific, but with uh, this 
variety of experiences in other companies and contexts and uh, knowing about finances, markets, uh, go to market. So right now it must be really difficult to fill these positions. It, it is, again, from what you said, it is because you have to um, figure out what are the most... Uh, what are the most important things in your very specific context? So for some might be creating a compelling product vision that's differentiated. That's a specific skill. The, for others might be we have a, an ongoing market, a competitive situation. It's a margins battle. We have to be very good in financials. We have to be very good in profitability. Those are two very different roles and different CPOs will, or, will bring different things to the table. And you also have to look at the entire executive team mm -hmm. and figure out Where can I have some of these competences distributed? Um, I think, you know, I'm going to speak on my own behalf. I think um, sometimes promoting somebody from within is good because they already come with a lot of, uh, they, they come with the foundation of being a good product leader, which is typically a lot of customer empathy um, and understanding of the customer. And then, you know, if they've been a product manager or if they've done some product work, they understand the dynamics of, uh, prioritization and strategy elements and uh, how to you know the different uh, the different motions of then building product I would advise people to look inside and maybe there's a good op growth opportunity for somebody to mm -hmm. first be a director and then a VP and then a, a CPO and that that's a journey uh, you know you should look inside as well don't necessarily have to bring from the outside okay okay I wanted to uh, get to the the topic that is just said um, that uh, the need for having passion for the problem and empathy for the user. So I also believe that you said on uh, on your LinkedIn that for being a great PM, this is absolutely indispensable to to have uh, this passion em for passion for the problem um, even before. Uh, technical skills as a PM. Yes. Why do you think that? Because I think if a problem is sufficiently big and difficult and worthwhile, you cannot get there just by being technically very good at the craftsmanship of product management. You have to You, you will have to do things that are very, very difficult and will have to move people in their minds and in their hearts And if you're not passionate, you're not enthusiastic, I, it, it's hard to drive the level of change that you need internally in the organization and then externally. Um, now, this isn't true if you're building a product that is, if I'm, you know, if I'm a product manager for a paper company, mm -hmm. that's a pro well understood problem. It's about margins and, uh, you know, about to incre incremental innovation. You don't need to be passionate about that. But if you are, like in a lot of cases, in a lot of startups or scale-ups, if you are going and creating something that's net new and fundamentally changing how people are operating um, and going against the status quo, at some point in time, technical capabilities are not just, I'm not, not going to cut it. You need to be in, able to inspire and drive that change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So in the second part of your career, it was when the... OutSystems was uh, going through hypergrowth. Yes. Um, what w can you give us a number of uh, like number of employees or it changed or number of offices? I don't know what um, you have. And so from when I started to when I ended, the number of employees grew by about a hundred times. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
so um, we can sort of figure out what the number is. But it's um, yeah, it was it was a super interesting period in time um, because the fundamental techniques you used um, uh, were changing. The market was changing. The types of things you had to do were changing. Um, the problems we had as a company were changing. We 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 went from not having tailwinds and not having uh, and having to sort of do uh, missionary selling in the very beginning where Paul, our CEO, was out there, you know, selling to like 10 years later, it was this huge market. And it was about how do you, how do you capture it fast? How do you scale an organization that is efficient and capture it fast? And well, how does the product stay ahead? And we got access to very different resources. Obviously, capital is one of them, but talent. You could bring in people that years before you could just like dream about talking uh, with the with them, and all of a sudden they were your teammates. Mm-hmm. And um, and the company there were there was a period where the company doubled every eighteen months. Um, and like things break, and you don't fully understand why they're breaking. Right? It's like what what this thing used to work for either a process or a part of the product or um, and 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 that is that uh, the best description I've ever heard of that experience is um, Reid Hoffman, I believe his name, the founder of LinkedIn, saying that uh, being in that environment is like walking into a building that is on fire, and you have to select what fire you want to <laughs> you're going to put out now, and and through the corner of your eye you, you're seeing the other fires, and you have to be very disciplined at saying I'm going to let that burn a little bit more. I, that that analogy to me was incredibly precise into how it felt to just uh, um, to just be able to operate in that context without burning up. Because if you try to put out the multiple fires, it becomes a very sucky experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine more or less. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can go to so safe. Mm. Uh, yes. <laughs> So you you are working now as CPO in yes. SoSafe. So what does SoSafe uh, what SoSafe does for the world? So safe SoSafe um, what it does is it helps companies activate their human firewall. What that means in practice is if you think of a company as a set of individuals, um, we are living in a world where unfortunately each and every individual is exposed to cybercrime. And um, and they're exposed to cybercrime through multiple means, through uh, phishing emails or other capabilities. So what SoSafe does is it helps train and then test whether or not these humans are properly aware and secure in their behavior. If you think about the cybersecurity ecosystem, uh, a lot of people spend a lot of money on the technology side of it, closing your networks and defending your bits and bytes. But But 80% of all attacks happen because a human gets hacked or gets uh, socially engineered. That's what SoSafe does. It helps prevent prevent the individual victims. So we help you mm-hmm. uh, not be a victim of cyber attack. And by uh, definition, we help your company be more secure. Okay. And how do you do that? Like training? Yes. we oh. are. The foundation of SoSafe was through um, the CEO is has a PhD in behavioral science. So we do a lot of uh, behavioral-driven training that is has a lot of result in a- actually changing people's behavior so that they're safer. So we do that. There's We have a very strong training play and enablement and awareness play, but also the capability of then testing proactively 
around whether or not people are uh, simulating phishing attacks, for example, and whether or not people are uh, falling for those attacks and helping if they fall for that for for a simulated phishing attack that we do, then helping them understand what was happening happen what was actually happening in that case and how can they train themselves so that they don't fall for it when it's real. Mm, That's what okay. we do now, right? In the future, you know, the whole goal of SoSafe is to become and to continue to. Uh, help companies better manage that more holistic human risk that they have in terms of cybersecurity uh, through more channels, more signals, more ability to really quantify that risk and give uh, and 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 to give organizations better tools to manage the human risk. Okay, understand. Uh, do you know some numbers in terms of uh, like how many people are uh, fall for these traps? Uh, it's or? thousands of people every uh, every quarter. Um, I don't know a specific absolute number, but just think of out of every 100 attacks that are successfully penetrated in the company, 80 are these types of attacks. The whole notion of somebody hacking into your computer and doing all these different things, that's a very minor, actually, attack. Most things happen um, uh, in, in the human layer of things, if you will. So it's it's massive. It's multi billions uh, of losses and victims mm -hmm. uh, around the world. Yeah, uh, you were saying that the CPO role can be very different. Like it can be called building the culture, building the operations. So uh, what is now your role, your focus as a CPO in SoSafe? So SoSafe um, has a journey. It's a much newer company. It's a journey of about four and a half, five years uh, up until this point. And SoSafe, the role here in SoSafe is to help continue to take advantage of the incredible opportunity in this market that I described and become a leader there. And what product do we need to be obviously competitive there, but also to then help drive the multi-year transition to this more human risk, um, human risk if you will, operating system that we want to build for companies. And at SoSafe, my role is, in this product is I've started by helping shape get a little bit more clarity about what the product vision would look like so you know where do we want to be in 18 months and three years and in practical terms what does that mean and how do we want to get there and now we're shifting to very much uh, how do we build the team and the processes so that on a week-on-week -week basis we're making progress in that direction so so if actually has the two sides of the, what we were was describing but that was a there was important sort of strategic framework that needed to be done, and now there's an important transition to short-term, long-term execution. Um, at SOSIF, it's, a, it's an interesting role as well because I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to own both product and technology, so it's an integrated group, um, and that, that has some very interesting dynamics around how the groups, getting the groups to work in a more integrated fashion. At OutSystems, I, I was a peer for to a CTO, and we work really well together, but um, very different dynamics and, and also very different products and markets. So it's also mm -hmm. if it makes sense to sort of join the two things um, and make the the technology really serve uh, the user experience and not be a thing in of itself. Okay. Great. <laughs> uh, we are getting to the end of our conversation. Excellent. It flew um, by. I, I just, uh, I, I want to ask you, uh, one final question. Okay. Uh, why should people join us uh, in October in the Prototypes Conference? 
I think people should join Productize because it has a high concentration of talented product leaders that are going to be there both talking and attending. And it's in these scenarios and in these situations that you maximize the opportunity for you to get an insight, a connection, a network, a mental model, uh, an experience, a story, something that fundamentally goes back and changes the trajectory of either your company or your um, or of your or yourself. And I, you know, I I think the the product ice team has made an incredible job at creating an atmosphere where those things happen and I'm sure if you go if somebody goes there they will always walk go back home with uh, a thing that fundamentally changes how they think about product or their current role or maybe a future role changes it for the better and accelerates and removes confusion and clutter um, that's been my experience with everybody that has been to product ties mm -hmm. and I think this year will be no exception and why should people join your talk Well, uh, my talk, I think, is going to be interesting. Uh, I am going to explore how do you answer the age-old question uh, of is my product team actually performing well? It is a very difficult question to answer if you think about that, right? How do, we, how do you know if you have a good product team? Mm -hmm. So in my talk, maybe you can take away some ideas on how to better answer that question and to not only do a good job, but to prove to others that you were also doing a good job, which is an important thing, as, as we all know, both for career progression, but also for continuing to double down on you know, the things that you really believe you need to do within your own organization. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Thank Excellent. you so much. Thank you for having me.